Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshsheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. My name is Jody Stevens. I am joined by Caleb Harris. Today we're, we're discussing the dangers of pornography, porn addiction, also Christian living, how these things all tie in together, uh, you know, as it relates to recovery. And Caleb is a best-selling author. He's got books out like Suffering in Silence, Out of Darkness. He's a writer, of course, coach, speaker, fellow traveler on the road to recovery. He's been down the road and is experiencing freedom from addiction and sexual addiction and pornography. And now he has stepped up. He's helping others do the same. That is a great road to walk, Caleb, and definitely challenging at times. So um, thank you for being on, coming on the show, and willing to talk about this much-needed but difficult and oftentimes shamed and sensitive topic. Caleb, where are you right now in the world? Yeah, so right now uh, God has me here in uh, Connecticut. My church that I go to is in uh, Agawam, Mass., and I do a little 30 minute drive a couple of days a week, you know, and basically this is where I believe that God wants me to be. You know, I'd like for him to put me somewhere warmer, but, you know, <laughs> want to have that talk later. I am in Oregon now. We live in Reno, Nevada, part time. And then I grew up in Alaska, so I'm quite used to snow and I love the snow. But this year there's been too much snow. For those of you listening, we're recording this in May of 2023 where there's still snow. (laughs) Oh, well, Caleb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for the work you do. I want to talk a little bit about just addiction in general before we roll into your story, which I really want to hear. I love what it tells us, though, in Luke 4.18. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And I believe addiction is a major form of, of, of oppression. So often we think we have it, right? We think we've got this thing under control. And then at some point we realize it's got us. Oh, yeah. I could definitely relate to that. Before I was uh, battling with uh, the porn addiction, it was uh, drinking, it was uh, drugs, it was just other things in general. And then on my recovery journey, I just learned that I was just trying to escape reality. I didn't want to face... Yeah what was in my closet, you know, I came from a domestic abuse situation, you know, was also sexually abused as well. And I didn't want to address the oh. hurt, the pain, you know, the anger that I felt because I just felt that God didn't want to hear it. So I, I built up this wall with God and I didn't want to fully surrender because I didn't really know what surrendering meant. And then when I learned with addiction is that many of us don't, many of us obviously have a, you know, an addiction to something, but yeah. what it really is, is that it's wrapped up in, you know, our, our own personal fears, our own personal insecurities of like abandonment. Uh, you know, we don't want someone to leave. Uh, many people are codependent. So, you know, when they find someone, they want to stick to that person and, you know, they don't want to let them go. So then they want to be possessive. Many people have problems with control and things like that. And, you know, to cope with all the pain and cope with, you know, also just running away from arguments, they go to that addiction that helps them feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. All those things that you said are so true. I think that God sees us as the little kid. We see mm-hmm. us as grown up and being making these decisions that are having a negative impact on our life. But I believe that he sees the wounded child. And we all do stuff for a reason. 
right? I mean, we right. we drink for a reason. We do drugs for a reason. I was medicating an anxiety disorder, so I became an alcoholic when I was 14. When I was 14, nobody says, oh, I think you have an anxiety disorder, just like you, Caleb. It's not like someone's told you you have you know, PTSD from childhood trauma, which you most likely mm-hmm. did. Did you find along the way as your relationship drew into him with his, with this addiction that rather than condemnation, he was really holding you through it all and saying, you know, I see you, I see that broken child. Yeah, I, I definitely started to see that more, you know, the more and more that I just uh, got more into the word of God and the mm-hmm. more and more I was, uh, you know, reading like Romans and like First Corinthians and how the Apostle Paul says to crucify the flesh and just to, you know, basically just take the time to just say, okay, God, like, I surrender. I don't really know exactly what to do, but I was really just uh, yeah. walking by faith and not by sight because I was just, I, I know for myself is that I got so tired of just living like a victim because God doesn't want us to be victims. He wants yeah. us to be victors. And, you know, I just got so tired of, like, living that way. So when I was in sober recovery, I mean, we were addressing things like pride. We are addressing things like community mm-hmm. and things like that. And just it really helped me out to understand that, like, God wants me to, like, talk to mm-hmm. him. Like, God doesn't want me to ignore him. Like, God wants me to actually get closer to him. God doesn't want me just to fight this battle by myself. And I think with addiction, we're all kind of doing the same thing. It's all kind of the same thing. I think there's a lot of shame around certain addictions, maybe Mm -hmm. less around others. In my opinion, it's all the same. But, you know, we could say, oh, porn addiction, sexual addiction, that's, you know, super shameful or, you know, worse. Where I work, I do another podcast for an opioid treatment center. We treat heroin addiction. We could say, oh, oh, that's the worst of the worst. Oh, maybe alcohol addiction is not as bad. Food addiction, we don't care about that, right? But if you Mm -hmm. look at the pattern of it, wouldn't you say it's all the same thing? thing where we kind of run through these same behaviors where we're hiding stuff we have a stash we have a double life we're planning it we're preoccupied we're rationalizing it did you find you were doing all of those things with your addiction yeah absolutely i was basically just trying to i I had all these uh skeletons in my closet and i didn't want anyone to know that they were there and i was Mm -hmm. also just fearful because of my past like oh well I never got any help to begin with and, you know, everyone ignored me and people abandoned Mm. me. So obviously I internalized that as God's going to do the same exact thing to me, which actually I had to realize that that was just anything further from the truth. And, you know, the more and more I started to tell my story and the more and more I started giving my testimony in churches and other events, I started realizing that so many people had been you know, through the same thing that I have been through. But, like, the devil wants us to, like, isolate and live this double life and not really tell anybody what's going on with our lives. And, you know, many people, rather, whatever the addiction is, a lot of them just don't want to actually address what's going on. And it may not even be because they don't want to. I mean, some, yes, but others probably just, they've normalized this. They just realize that, well, you know, this is just the way that I am and people just need to accept me for the way I am. And if they don't, then, you know, they're the problem, not me. Right. Well, and so much of what drove your addiction, I think, was the underlying trauma issues. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, you know, that it's really a result from pain, a result from wounding. And then we turn to something just to try to cope. I mean, how else would you know any different if you're not taught different, if you're not nurtured? You don't know any different. You're trying to fix what's broken. And so honestly, I always, and I probably say this every show, that turning to an addiction is actually a natural and normal reaction to trauma until you learn different coping skills and different ways of being until God can reach in and really show you who you were. Because, you know, if we're, if there was trauma or we ended up in this sort of caretaking role, By the time we grow up, we don't even have really an identity, right? We don't even know who we are, so we need to have other people and God come along and teach us those things. There's plenty of tools and skills out there, but it's it's challenging for people like us when we do get older because you realize, man... I've got to learn all this stuff that my parents should have taught me, right? So Mm -hmm. I think everything you went through was really just a normal reaction to the way you were raised and to the trauma. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was just definitely one of those things with me where it was like, you know, no one in my family ever talked about therapy. Like no one ever wanted right. to discuss what was happening and things like that. Like, and even when my mom passed away, like two years ago, I found out that she was uh, sexually assaulted. And, you know, mm. I found out that my dad and he went through something similar as well. And it's just how they were taught is you just if you live through it, then you got through it. And then, you know, when I talk to the younger generation about these kind of things, they, they most likely want to listen to me, but they don't want to listen to somebody who's like a little bit older because they refer to them as like a boomer or something like that. Or they just don't <laughs> understand me or, you know, they don't yeah. get in stuff like that. But it's just there's always a, a lot of division with the younger generation and the older generation. I just feel as if. You know, if we could sit down and at least try to, you know, understand where everyone's coming from. We don't have to obviously agree on everything, but you have yeah. to just get an understanding of like what people have gone through. Like there are different terms that people have identified with. Like there are things that people have gone through. Like not everybody has to just pull up their bootstraps and suck it up and be a man or a woman and just ignore what happened and just move on because you can't move on from what you don't address. No, that's a great point. You can't. And you want to heal yourself so you can have a successful life, but also your children. You you have to do something different, right, to break mm -hmm. the cycle of codependency, the cycle of addiction. They're both the same thing, <laughs> in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. I, I know, you know, with my family, there was alcoholism, you know, um, addiction, and then also codependent relating patterns, of don't talk, don't feel, which then led to the addiction. And mm -hmm. so it's just this this uh, circular thing. How old are you, Caleb, if you don't mind my asking? I'm 29. 29. Okay. All right. So yes. I'm the older generation. So I'm 51. <laughs> so so I could probably be your mom. But, you know, uh, we, we do, us older people, we do have some more wisdom, even though we're not as quick as you guys are with the digital stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do, I do uh, all that digital stuff for a living. So uh, I'd like to say I can keep up, but it's not innate. It's not quite as innate as it is for, for you guys, you know? Mm -hmm. So share your story, if you would, Caleb. Talk to me about in, you know, recovery, we always say, hey, where were you? What happened? And where are you now? How you got into your addiction, kind of some of the trauma and the things that led to it. When you when did you realize that it had you? And then how did God deliver you? Yeah, so like my uh, trauma really just starts off when, you know, uh, even with like the abuse that was going on that all happened when I was like anywhere between like six to like 12. And then that's when I started picking up drinking at like uh, the age of 10. And then that was just like wow. an on and off battle. And then, you know, I started picking up pornography around like 19. And then, you know, it was funny because in 2019, that that was when I decided just to stop drinking. Like I just cut it out cold turkey. Mm -hmm. I stopped going to bars. I stopped going to clubs. I just got tired of it but you know pornography still had a hold on me and like all the other stuff like doing drugs and smoking weed like that was all gone but like the pornography like still had a hold of me and then you know there would be days i would quit i go a couple months clean and i would go right back to it and then sex addiction as well mm -hmm. and then you know it was funny because then i would quit the sex around uh 2000 uh 2019 as well but the pornography just still had a hold of me and i was just trying to realize like why is it that this still has a hold of me and i realized that what i was doing was behind closed doors because in my opinion like if someone has like a, a drinking problem you know they could go out and they could socialize at a bar at a club and not too many people are going to say hey so-and-so has a problem with alcohol they're just saying hey so-and-so had a bad day they're just trying to unwind but with like porn addiction, it's like, oh, well, this person is trying to, this person's kind of weird. Like they're looking at something that just is on a screen. Like, why don't they just go hook up with a bunch of women? And then there's like a shame and guilt, yeah. all, all these things that are associated with it. So then it just feels like what I'm doing behind closed doors, I just don't really feel good about myself. So last year, a couple months ago, in a couple of months, I quit, just basically just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. It was around February of 2022. But what really helped me to quit and to stay free was just getting more into God's word, being a celebrate recovery, and most importantly, just understanding that, like, I'm not my addiction. Like, my problem was that I kept identifying 
in my addiction. I kept identifying as a porn addict. And what happened uh-huh. with me, what helped out with me is that I stopped identifying as a porn addict and I just identified as a child of God. And that's uh-huh. what really helped me out just to completely stay free of everything that was uh, taking a hold of me, you know? So I haven't gone back to mm-hmm. any drinking or drugs or porn or sex or anything like that because it's really just helped me out to understand is that that's not me anymore. That was my old life. You know, now I have better coping mechanisms. I pray daily. I fast and, you know, work out and just basically just have as much fun as I can and just go out to theater and just, you know, go hang out with a couple of friends at, you know, at the coffee shop or things like that. And that's what's really been helping me out. Just, you know, not spending all of my time in my house, going out and hanging out with other people, going out to dinner and just trying to enjoy, just trying to enjoy life. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it sounds like with the porn and stuff that, that we would call that kind of the primary addiction. So that was the one thing that had the biggest hold on you, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about the the shame aspect of it. What became different for you when you started to share, to open up? to not be so secretive about it, to have some accountability. Did that make a big difference for you? Yeah, that definitely made a big difference for me. You know, still to this day, I have two solid accountability partners. Uh, One's Mm. a youth pastor, uh, one is a teacher out of school. So, you know, basically just telling people what was going on, it just helped. Uh, It helped liberate me. I felt as if I didn't have to keep staying in darkness all the time because I just... I would feel bad like I'm sitting here in church and I just gave my life to God like two years ago. And it's like I'm sitting down here and, you know, I have all these conflicting views and all this other stuff. And I'm just I know I'm not right with God, but like there's a part of me that wants to get right. And then the other part of me is like, well, I just want to just stay addicted to my Mm -hmm. pleasure. And, you know, the scripture talks about whoever worships pleasure will become poor. Mm. And basically, you know. Living this life of sexual immorality, I just got tired of it because I got tired of living this double life and I got tired of being double minded. And basically just the theme of my life was I was just tired. That that was it. Like, I think there, there comes a point in your life where you get so sick and tired of just trying to fight with God that you just finally surrender. And some people that I've been coaching have finally got there. Some have not. And, you know. What with this journey is that it comes a, a lot of patience. I've learned that many people, they, they know what's going on. They've watched videos about this. They've seen films and television shows that are similar about recovery, but they still haven't taken that initial step because there's there's something that's holding them back. And with every, everybody, it's, it's different. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think there's a lot of people who like to fantasize about healing, but not actually, you know, get out and actually do it because... They're, they're scared of what will happen if they actually mm. become sober. Like, yeah. there'll be people that they'll probably lose, and they don't want to lose those people. Well, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, again, the shame. I remember when I first got sober, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't go to this AA meeting. What if I see my boss? I mean, how st- – and, yeah. and then my sponsor was like, yeah, well, your boss is worried they're going to see you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah. that's a really good point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, for anybody that's struggling with the shame, I'm telling you, the longer you stay sober, pretty soon it radiates out of you this story like how we're talking. It becomes your testimony, right? It mm-hmm. becomes the, instead of the victim, it becomes your victory. And you really do get past all of that shame. Um, but I think, I love what you were talking about with surrendering. I think that's such a huge piece. I think it's something we have to wake up and do every single morning, particularly, and maybe you can relate to this, if there was trauma and stuff, we experienced a lot of this idea when we were younger that the world was kind of a scary place, not really a Mm -hmm. safe place, and we're reaching for control. So we want to self-soothe, but we want to control. Because I can't control what's going to happen. I can't control if there's going to be violence in the house. I can't control if there's going to be yelling. But I can self-soothe and go to this, and this will be my safe haven. This will be something that I can control. So giving up that control to the Lord 
is very hard. And then you mix in all the trust issues with that. Did you find that was a challenge for you, that that surrender piece? Because that tends to be a real stumbling block for many individuals. And obviously, we can see why. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I didn't even think that I had control issues. But like, I <laughs> yeah. just... Because that's the thing that you tell yourself, like, oh, I don't have control issues. Oh, that's not me. No, not me. No. And then I was just telling myself, like, I got to stop, you know, telling myself all these lies. Because if I keep telling myself all these lies and I'm not really going to heal, like, I was always trying to control, you know, how I would drive. Like, I would always Mm -hmm. try to drive a certain speed limit. And I would there would be times I wouldn't even want to go over that speed limit, you know. I would try to control like what would happen in the morning. Like I would always try to control my morning routine, like what I would eat, you know, what I would say to people, like all these other kind of things. So it was hard for me just to like give that up and just realize like, okay, whatever is going to happen is just whatever is going to happen and to be yeah. just okay with that. Like there's times where I could be driving in a car. There's a possibility that I could get in a car accident. But like I said, you know, as long as I just drive safely, it's most likely not going to happen. You know, like there's going to be things that happen. Like I may run out of food. So instead of just getting upset and angry, that, that was things that I would always do. Like I would be so obsessed with like meal prep and I would have to eat like the same thing over and over and over again because I was always trying to control what I ate. So there'd be mm-hmm. times I'd go out to restaurants and I would just eat like a bland salad or I wouldn't eat anything because, you know, I just didn't want to mm-hmm. like give up that control that, you know, I had to eat somebody else's food. So <laughs> that that was something that I was trying to do as well. And I'm a lot better in that department now too. But, you know, there's also just some restaurants I don't go to because I just, I don't really think that they're that good in my personal opinion. But uh-huh. yeah, it, it's just one of those things where, I had to just learn, give up the control and just surrender to God. It's obviously not easier. The saying goes, uh, easier said yeah. than done. But I told the guys, I mean, look, listen, like you've been trying to control everything. How has this been working for you? And they say, you know, you got a point. And I'm like, just trying to help. That's all. Well, and, you know, if we're looking at, let's say, the 12 steps, admitted we were powerless over porn, admitted we were powerless Mm -hmm. over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I always replace that with admitted we were powerless over sin, that our life had Mm -hmm. become unmanageable. And that pretty much puts it into perspective, because everybody's got something. Because the Bible says we're born powerless over sin. It doesn't specifically say it just like that. But the entire Bible alludes to the fact that human beings are powerless over sin. And when we look to God, that's really our deliverance, however you want to say it. And that can really help with the shame because then it's like, you know, maybe you've got porn and I've got alcohol and the next dude's got, you know, fentanyl and the next dude's, you know, which is really scary right now. And the next person's got food and the next person's got anger issues. I'm telling you because everybody's got something that they've Mm -hmm. got to give it up because we are powerless over sin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, like that, that's just the truth. I mean, we're powerless over sin, you know, so basically you have to admit that the higher power is the most high God. And that's, that's the step. I mean, I, I tell the guys, I mean, look, listen, like my coaching is very simple. Like I don't force you to do anything that you don't want to do. We will go yeah. as, as fast or as slow as, as you want me to. But I've also told the guys, I'm like, look, listen, we can't keep all the secrets, you know, yeah. like we, we, we have to just be honest here. Like I'm not going to, and I've also realized this is like when you talk to guys and I specialize more of like porn and sexual addiction. Like there's a lot of like shame to actually say anything because I think there's a lot of guys, you know, they maybe have had their parents that have yelled at them or screamed at them and they've been feeling so much disappointment. So it's like, they don't want to disappoint me. And it's Mm, like, that's not, I don't, I don't look at it like that. We're like a team here. Like we're, we're trying to actually help one another. I'm trying to help you out here, but it's like, you have to let me in. Like, I can't, I can only do so much if you just keep all these secrets. Like that, that's it. Yeah. No, you have to be open. And that takes time as well. Right. Cause you know, the, 
trust has to build up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the other thing, too, is the way that the addiction rewires our brain. And that's a a huge piece of it as well, because people are, you know, why do I need help? Why do I need coaching? Why doesn't Jesus just deliver me? You know, we often heard that, you know, my husband did, you know, all you need is is Jesus and he'll fix it. And while that, that is true, that oftentimes God does magic, wand us is what I call it. Usually that's not the case because we still live in this fallen earth and it's difficult to just immediately recover from whatever it is, whether it's our childhood, whether it's years of trauma whatever it is, it takes time. We have to rewire our brain differently, right? Because porn and other addictions flood um, us with dopamine and stuff like that. We're going to have withdrawal. We're going to have trouble talking about it. As you say, we've got to learn what it's like to live with accountability. We've got to deal with all those feelings we stuffed through our entire childhood. (laughs) You know, so there's so much. So kind of talk to me about that. Just the, the piece of just walking that road, relearning that stuff, because, you know, when you're, when you're coaching people and stuff like that, just helping them understand, look, why, why do I need account? Why can't I just pray this away? You know, I think that's what we all want. Why can't I just pray (laughs) this away? Well, you know, uh, God could do that. He could, and I believe that he could, (laughs) and sometimes he does, but he usually doesn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, just letting people know that like, you know, your your walk with God and my walk with God is completely different. You know, like I was always praying to God to like take this away from me. But what I had to realize is that what God was telling me is that I need you to actually start hanging out with more people. And I was like, yeah. God, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, what do you mean hang out with more people? And that's when I started learning about community because that was the main thing that was always the stumbling block with the porn addiction, like the withdrawals of, you know, I want to look at this again, or I want to go have sex again with a random woman or just hang out at a strip club or a bar. What I started realizing is that, okay, well, I just want to go to these things because I want to just feel better temporarily. And what I had to realize when I was in recovery is that you have to sit down with your feelings and emotions, you know, journaling, talking to somebody and actually letting people in. So when I started letting other people in, it was it was different for me because no one really knew who I was, you know. And as I tell the guys, I'm like, you know, it it seems like a lot of people don't really know who you are. Like, I I have a couple of people that I, I talk to. It's like no one really knows who they are. So it's like taking those steps it's not easy but you know i always tell the guys i mean a little bit at a time one of the things i give guys a suggestion is how about we just hang out with somebody that you know once a week mm-hmm. and if that's a little bit too much how about we just do once a month you know I, i'm all about just taking uh I, I would say progressive steps you know but it's one of those things where it's like Definitely trying to get the guys more out of the house and hanging out with more people, you know, doing volunteer work, whether it's serving at the church. I mean, I'm in youth ministry myself for Wednesdays, and that's been Mm -hmm. very, very helpful. Also, just, you know, doing community service and what I do, you know, writing and speaking and things like that as well. That's really helped out because it helps me just to not always be isolated and in my house and just in my own thoughts and in my own head, because the more and more you spend time in your head, then you're just thinking about all the negativity. And then that's not good because ultimately for most of the time, it ends up in a relapse. And that's what you said is key relapse a, because we can, there's two things I want to hit on, you know, relapse Mm -hmm. is a huge learning experience. People feel shame because they relapse. But reality is you're going to relapse initially. It's usually part of the process. If you can look at that as a learning experience, you know, this is what we do Mm -hmm. in addiction counseling is what did you learn? What did you realize about your triggers? Where were you? What happened? Who were you talking to? Right then from there, we take it to the next level where next time that happens, who are you going to call? What are you going to do? Right? It's a process. It's a learning mm-hmm. experience. I'm sure you relapsed. And and what did you learn through your relapses? Yeah. So basically, there, there were definitely times that I relapsed. I realized is that uh, I call it the, the trigger room. Basically, yeah. 
I was always in my bedroom. And that's what I realized. Yeah. Every time I was looking at porn and whenever I, whenever I would look at it, I was always in my bedroom. Uh, I had a rough day. Uh, I was very low on energy. So instead of just, you know, going to the gym or walking outside or just calling somebody, I would ignore that because I didn't want to feel that pain. I didn't want to just embrace, okay, Caleb, this is just, you're just a little bit tired right now. You could just go and take a nap somewhere or you could just walk around the block or you could just right. call somebody. Instead, it was like, nope, I'm going to, I want to feel better now. Like, I want to feel better right now. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go, go to my room. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to look at this material and I'm going to feel better. But then after the relapse would happen, what would happen is this. I didn't feel better. So I had to tell myself, like, okay, mm -hmm. every time I would look at this, I didn't feel better. And that was the same thing that I revealed to in recovery. And they were telling me the same thing. Wow. And, and really, it was recognizing, A, I don't feel better. Mm -hmm. B, I was angry because of the day. Right, yeah. the, the I was lonely. I, they they t they talk about hungry, tired, lonely, angry. You know, you mm -hmm. you were were probably most of those things, right? And also, if there was like when you talk about the trauma of your childhood, nobody really teaches you to have this delayed gratification, right? So we have to mm -hmm. learn that too, right? I mean, you know, so it's learning. Some of just the addiction is just learning, like gratification like real long-term gratification it takes time right i can't just drink this away i can't go home because i don't want to talk to my boss and get drunk it makes me feel better but now i haven't faced my boss right so i always say addiction is a replacement for what we lack the courage to do right and you needed the courage to get out into the world talk to people allow god to show who you who you were right but right. you didn't have yeah. the courage, so it was easier to just isolate and look at porn or get drunk mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was definitely what it was. Because, you know, I used to always be, I, I always thought that I was a very, like, shy and timid person. And, you know, in, in the writing world, it's a very real, uh, very weird world. Like, a mm -hmm. lot of people identify as, like, these... Uh, outcasts and no one understands them and you know this is our it, it's like it's really weird it's very hard to explain like it's it's a whole ideology within itself and it just it doesn't make any sense you know a lot of people say well you know i'm a great writer but i'm not a great speaker it's like well how, how do you know you're not a great speaker yeah and i would fall right into that trap because since i never hung out with people in public i spent a lot of time online and like yeah i met i've met some very uh, interesting people online, cool people, some people who are just uh, honestly just out there and had a lot of like interesting things to say. And it just, I just started realizing is that this is just made up. Like this is made up by man. Like this has nothing yeah. to do with God at all. And then when I started just to leave my house, I mean, there were times I was uncomfortable. There was times I was, I was still shy, but I was determined to say, I right, like, I'm going to just let God use me i'm just gonna let god uh talk through me and i'm going to be just fine and i was yeah. i was just fine the whole entire time well and god really shows us who we are through community that is mm -hmm. just how he has wired us so and he shows us who we are through community and he shows us what we're passionate about through community it's you know and and we all have tried especially those of us that struggle with addiction, the me and God routine. Like we've all been there. We're like, okay, God, just take this away from me and show me who I am and show me what I'm supposed to do. Just me and you, <laughs> just alone. Yeah. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Because, you know, when you think about it, you're not going to make money in this world without other people. You're not going to figure anything out without networking and marketing or whatever. And so the reality is if you want to find out who you are, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, who you are as a human being, it's going to happen in community. You're not, you know, I mean, did you find that too? Because because you were wrapped up probably in your own head, maybe the way you were raised, all the crap mm -hmm. that happened, right? And But then you get into community, you get around healthy people, and that's when you start to find your identity, don't you think? Yeah, that's definitely what I started noticing. Is, you know, the more and more I started hanging out with more people, I started realizing is that obviously 
there's different people. I mean, there's people yeah. that you're going to like, like right away. Some people, it may take a little bit longer to like and stuff like that. And then when I started networking with other people, it became a lot more easier for me to promote my books and to get more into like marketing and, you mm-hmm. know, building more connections with other people and, and just things like that. And I've been realizing, cause I talked to more guys than like actual women. So you know, when I talk to the guys, it's like we have this uh, lone wolf mentality. It's just, you know, yeah. guys don't want to say anything. They don't want to open up or anything like that because the world just teaches us that you just got to do it by yourself. And, like, uh-huh. no one else is going to be able to help you. And then there's guys who, you know, they've been hurt before. And I, I told them, like, look, I, I get it. The abandonment issues are definitely there. I'm not being uh, unsympathetic to what you're going through. But I have to tell you the truth. There will be people who will hurt you. But at the end of the day, like, you have to understand, like, not everyone is going to hurt you. So, like, a lot of guys, you know, they they go to the addiction because they just realize, well, you know, uh, the porn, the drinking, the drugs, like, they're not going to, quote, unquote, hurt me. But, you know, people always hurt me all the time. But, you know, these drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, these are my friend. That's what the brain will will tell the person who's addicted. They'll say, well, this is my friend. Like, I've never gotten hurt with this before, so I'm going to cling to this current addiction, and I'm just, I'm not going to let it go. Right. Well, and you need that healthy network of people to show you differently. Because if Mm -hmm. there was childhood trauma, or if there was a lot of deep pain and hurt, you grow up and think that, well, the person that was supposed to be there for me wasn't. They hurt me. And that gets wired in your brain to where the trust issue can take a long time. So it's, you know, the, the basic lie of addiction is that no one can help me. They never did back then. I am the only one that can help myself. And that, I think, is the biggest lie. Right. Definitely. So when you opened up about your addiction, was that in the church? How do you feel like the church is dealing with this addiction of porn addiction? So I, I believe that just uh, it depends on the church. Right. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like it's totally, just, yeah. totally Baptist or, you know, a little <laughs> bit too hardcore or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So like it depends on the church. Like this church is this is a church that I was a part of. And, you know, they were really big on like the mental health side. But like it would uh-huh. sometimes go. I, I don't know how to put this, but, you know, it would go more into, like, mental health, but it just wouldn't have a lot of, like, mention of God. So it was, mm-hmm. like, to me, in my mind, in my personal opinion, it seemed like it's more, okay, we're talking more about mental health, but, like, we're not really, you know, we're not really talking a lot about scripture. Like, I, I get it that people have dealt with a lot of things and a lot of addictions, but, like, God is, is still here with us, and it seems yeah. like... A lot of it was like man-made, like pop psychology stuff, and then you just sprinkled a little bit of scripture in, but it didn't. To me, didn't seem like a lot of uh, dependence on God. And that scientifically was scientifically proven. Yeah. Yes, I, I have mm-hmm. an I have an MS in addiction counseling. I just graduated, so it is very. Um, yeah. And I love all that stuff. They're they're amazing tools, cognitive behavioral therapy, all that stuff. But you know, you're right. Your your my goal is to is to mesh the two because mm-hmm. you know God God gave us all this stuff. But I'm telling you, not to interrupt you, but if you look at if you dive into, let's say, dialectical behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or any of those sorts of things, they're all, um, in one way or another, offshoots of the 12 steps and as far as dealing with addiction in a clinical, scientifically proven way. And then all the offshoots of the 12 steps come from the Bible. So, (laughs) you know, so I think with, with, like you say, pop psychology, it's in looking at what, what in psychology lines up with scripture. So Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral is changing your thoughts to change your emotions, to change your actions when the Bible says, you know, renew your mind, right? And so you can, you can find, you can um, make all that stuff work together, I guess is what I'm saying. But I think, I think you're, you're right that some, with some churches, maybe it's becoming all psychology. And then with some um, churches, there isn't any psychology. So they're Mm -hmm. like, they're like, oh, if you're schizophrenic, you have a demon. And it's like, well, no, you have a 
dopamine imbalance, you know? Right. (laughs) Right? So you got to right kind of mesh the two. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just one of those things where there's like there's churches where they just believe in just like laying hands on you and just casting a demon out of you. And it's like, you know, that's I if that's what they believe, that's what they believe. I mean, me personally, I believe that it could be a mental health issue. It could be something demonic. But from my practice and my studies and my research, it Mm -hmm. seems to be it seems to be a mental health issue, you know, yeah, and I know yeah. in the world, people agree to disagree. I mean, that's fine. I mean, there's already a lot of division in churches anyway, but I, I, I look at it as this. I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of people have never said anything about their lives at all. You know, yeah. like before we go around here trying to cast a demon out of somebody, how about we just talk to them about what's going on in their lives? Mm, yeah. And that, yeah. that's just where my coaching comes from. Cause my coaching, yes, is like, it is God-centered, like it is about surrendering to God, but it's also just about sitting down and talking to people, because like, that's what Jesus did. He sat down and he talked to people, like he sat down and he communed with people, and he tried to basically, you know, get get them to change their lives around, which is what I do my best to do. I don't try to control anybody. I'm not trying to get anybody to do something that they don't want to do, but I want to just, whenever they're struggling with something, I want to always point them back to the scriptures that that's basically what i'm always trying to do but also there's just times where it's like okay look listen this is just a time where i got to sit down and just listen to what they're going through and i believe in a lot of churches that many churches just don't don't know how to really do that and it could just because they just don't know or don't want to know i mean there's many reasons as to why but it's, it's just one of those things where it's like Churches just in general, in general terms speaking, just need to just take the time to just sit and just listen before Mm. responding. That's beautiful, yeah, because there's no quick fix. Mm -hmm. And it's different for everybody. And until you know their story, you're not going to know. You know, if you know, and Jesus always did that. He, well, he knew (laughs) he was Mm -hmm. able to to have that deep discernment where, you know, he knew the hearts of men. He knew what they were thinking and he was able to discern natural versus demonic and all that stuff. But just to get into that really quick, you know, if people have a history of witchcraft and stuff like that, then, then you can look at a, a demonic because they've opened that portal. But Mm -hmm. then there's also natural, which is like you said, mental health issues. But if you take it back even further, if you look at the fall and Satan, you you could literally blame it all back on on the enemy because, you know, the enemy in the flesh, because that's really the root of it. It's just that some things are natural, right? (laughs) And some things are demonic. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all like, because if you think of what sin did, Right? It impacted us spiritually. It impacted our genes, our atoms, our biology, right? Everything, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And so, but yeah, I mean, I think you're so right. It's really, you just need to listen to the person, connect with them, love them, and then you'll probably get to the really the root of where their challenges are arising from and how to best heal or you know work with him to help them to find healing but you're right Mm -hmm. i think in the church it's very not just church. it's just it's just the world we live in particularly no offense with the the younger generation i mean and even me it's like we want it we want it now you know even Mm -hmm. in addiction counseling it's like we must use a scientifically you know proven method to help this individual or that individual like they want to find um the right cure and yeah. that's different for everybody. And it's always going to be complex, I think, because we're complex individuals, you know? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the work that you're doing now. Yeah, so the work that I'm doing right now is, you know, last, uh, well, like eight, nine months ago, I, I took a 160-hour course that was specialized in uh, porn and sexual addiction. And mm-hmm. this goes on top of my degree in mass communication. So I study like film and the human behavior. And I'm always just studying and just trying to learn more about scripture and about addiction as well. So basically, I just have my own, uh, my own practice, which is uh, choosing your freedom. And it's basically mm-hmm. just recovery coaching, for guys who uh, battle with uh, porn and sexual addiction. Also, I do life coaching on the side as well to help guys out with their goals and aspirations and what they want to do in life and just helping them just to 
stay focused as well. So, yeah, and also I just have a new book that's going to be coming out uh, June 15th. It's going to be talking about uh, escaping pornography, which will be a biblical-based guide, you know, just to help out the guys to uh, quit porn, but also get closer to God as well and just to try to hear and discern more of what God is trying to say and talks about building more of a community and just basically the importance of getting in God's word and just continuing to surrender to him. And it's also going to be a workbook that's attached to it as well. I'll also be available for coaching. And yeah, that's basically what I, I do with my time now. Fantastic. I read some of your book last night, Suffering in Silence. Very well written. You're a great writer. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about a couple of the books, how they came about and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so like with Suffering in Silence, that, that was definitely like a different book. I wasn't mm -hmm. a, a Christian when I wrote Suffering in Silence, but it was oh, just wow. one of those things. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things where I had studied a lot about psychology. And mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, I had a, I have a degree in communication, so I was always uh, fascinated with the human behavior and things like that. So my main character, Ricky Johnson, was having a, a lot of problems and a lot of issues with his life. So basically, he wanted to know, well, maybe I should try God again after his mom had passed away. And the funny thing about this book is it was it was fictional, definitely was fictional. But when I was writing it and I was reading more and more about scripture, I, in return, actually gave my life to God like a year after writing the book. Mm -hmm. So it was just so like fascinating to me how that had happened, how God had just spoke to me through my own personal writing. And then basically I decided with Out of Darkness to write like the, I, I guess like the full testimony of everything that had happened in my life and trying that's to That's the one just, I read. Yeah, yeah that's mm -hmm. the one I, I was reading. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. And it was just basically me just talking about everything that basically had happened with the addictions, with uh, my mom passing away and how I felt and just trying to basically get people to understand that like, look, listen, you don't have to keep living in darkness. Like it's a choice. Like. Yeah. And, you know, the enemy will always try to tempt you to go back to a life of uh, just unrepented sin and just a life of just, you know, addiction or whatever the case may be, because he wants you to hide. I mean, that's how the enemy gets people. If he yeah. can get you to hide and not mm -hmm. have a community, then, you know, the thoughts, the negative thought patterns will happen. You'll go back to the addiction. You'll most likely just relapse and most likely just uh throwing the towel all together and just never take the time to heal. So even at the end, there's like a 30 day uh, spiritual rehab at the end where I just, I asked a couple of questions for the guys to answer and just to reflect on each day. So yeah, those are the two main books I wrote. And there was a book I wrote about when I was younger, I decided just to take it down because it just didn't really align with where I was going in my Christian walk. And also I did put out a cookbook, but <laughs> yeah, the, the cookbook is the cookbook. I don't really do a whole lot of cooking, so I don't really re promote that one as much. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it helps to cook at least if you're going to do a cookbook. I mean, just mm -hmm. saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I I write too. I do blogs. I did. Uh, I do radio. All that stuff. The creative stuff. And and God mm -hmm. speaks to us through our writing so often, and even through our own voice. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, sometimes you read back an old blog and you, you minister to yourself because <laughs> it's been a couple mm -hmm. years and you're like, holy cow, you know, that's definitely the Lord. I love that. Um, for those listening, struggling with an addiction, particularly people with a porn addiction and women too, because it's even worse for women to talk about pornography and sex addiction. What are just some sort of parting words of wisdom for them about overcoming getting into recovery, getting help, things like that? Well, I, I would just say is this, uh, take it one day at a time. I mean, mm -hmm. even though it's, you know, uncomfortable, you have to embrace being uncomfortable. Like, I know there's a saying that always goes, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, it's 100% yeah. true. Like, the addiction makes us comfortable where we're at. So yeah. the moment that we're like, quote unquote, sober, but not really the sober that we're looking for because we haven't really done like coaching or recovery. So whenever we're sober, we think that this is terrible. This is awful. I hate this feeling. I want to turn back to my addiction. 
Yeah. What what's not going to happen is you're just going to keep turning back to that addiction. And you're just going to keep feeling those same feelings and emotions. And you have to you have to fight. You have to address it. But you're not alone. God, if you're with God, he'll put the right people in your life to help you. But you have to you have to surrender. And if you don't surrender, then it's just going to be a lot more harder on you. And think about, too, that's great advice because we know shame lives in the dark. It's like mold, mm-hmm. you know? I would think of that like the shame. It just gets worse, you know, and grows in that dark place. And there's so much freedom in reaching out. And I can tell you right now, I've been sober almost 18 years, and my life is so full. It's so beautiful. A life with God and a life of sobriety. I mean, wouldn't you say like your life is so much better and it will get so much better if you can mm-hmm. just keep moving forward and ask for help, right? Right, yeah. That's absolutely. That that's the key word is like to ask for help. I mean, you know, I've been on my sober journey since 2019 and you know, 4 years strong and just keep on going and just basically just trying to make the best out of everything and just you know taking it one day one day at a time and you know that's all you can do i think the problem is that a lot of people fantasize about the future a lot and you know we watch a lot of films and television which there isn't anything wrong with watching film and television but if you're just using it to distract yourself from not actually getting the healing that you're looking for then maybe it's time to unplug yeah yeah Caleb, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for sharing your, as they say in recovery, experience, strength, and hope. Keep mm-hmm. fighting keep fighting the good fight, right? That's what I like yeah. to say. Tell people how they can get connected with you. I'm assuming that for your coaching for guys, you offer that via, like, do you do um, remote coaching or Zoom or anything like that? Yeah, so it's basically just remote coaching. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah, to find all my information, the simplest thing to do is, you know, if you go to my Instagram page, you type in a man named Caleb, and basically you'll just have a link to all my stuff, like my social media, my coaching, uh, my YouTube channel, all those kind of things will just be there. So, like, that's, like, the easiest way to find me. Okay, perfect. Do you have a website? Yeah, the, the website's in there, so it's basically just, it's a link tree, so it's uh-huh. link tree, and it's a C-H-A-R-R-A, and basically, yeah, all my stuff is all on there. Okay, Caleb Harris. All right, Caleb, thanks so much for coming yeah. on and talking. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.